So here's my question for you this morning. Um, God kind of put on my heart this past week. Um, are you expecting the miraculous in 2019 in this church, in your life? Are you expecting the miraculous? That's what God wants to, he, that's what he asked in my heart, so I'm asking it to you. Are you expecting the miraculous? Because if you're not, you're going to miss out. Because the miraculous is coming. God's going to do amazing things in your individual lives. He's going to do amazing things in this church. God has been moving in this place. God has blessed us in so many ways. God has blessed us with so many new people coming to the church and adding so much vibrancy and excitement to the body of Christ, adding to what God has already put together. And God is going to do miraculous things. You know, the, 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 the disciples, they expected the miraculous. When they went into situations, so many times they were expecting something miraculous to happen. We have to have that same attitude. We have to have that same heart. We need to expect the miraculous. In Judges chapter 3, verse 31, it says, After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. So we are going into uh, a new series this morning called Don't Just Leave a Legacy, Live a Legacy. Don't just, it's called, the whole, the concept is hallmark. Don't just, don't just leave a legacy, live a legacy. Hey, have you ever thought about what hallmark means? What is the definition of hallmark? A hallmark, think about this, a hallmark is a distinguishing characteristic, a trait, some kind of trait that we have or, or feature about us, who we are. It also means to stamp a mark that distinguishes our origin, our, our purity, our genuineness. That's who we are. What is the hallmark of my life? When my life is over, what is going to be the hallmark of my life? What is going to be the distinguishing characteristic if I died tomorrow and we had a funeral here? What would people say was my distinguishing characteristic? What would people say is your distinguishing characteristic? What are they going to say about you? Over the, over the past few years, so many people have asked me to talk about Shamgar again. Because maybe they missed it the first, they heard about other people talking about it and they, or they missed it the first time around or maybe they weren't here, maybe you weren't even here yet and so they want me to talk about Shamgar once again. So I'm gonna talk about Shamgar this morning and next week. Now we got one verse and two sermons. Come on. Alright, one verse and two sermons. That's how cool Shamgar is. Next week we're going to talk about it as well because I want to I want to really I want to build I want to build on this story and help us understand how important it is to use whatever God has given us to live a legacy. That's what I want us to do the next couple of weeks. I want us to and actually the next seven weeks to understand how important it is to use what God has given to each one of us to live out a legacy. So what do I mean by live a legacy? You heard about leaving a legacy and you're talking about living a legacy. What does it mean to live a legacy? 
So many people, um, they, they want to leave a legacy, but they fail to understand that there is a huge difference between leaving a legacy, okay, and actually living a legacy. So what does it mean to, to live a legacy? For me, living a legacy is, it means intentionally living for a specific purpose. It means intentionally living your life, a life of purpose, but it's intentional. You're thinking it through. You're saying, how do, what is my distinguish, what do I want my distinguishing characteristic to be at the end of my life? And then you live that out now. You intentionally think through how you're living your life. It means investing, investing in things that really matter. We waste so much time investing in things that don't matter at all. And the older you get and the wiser you get, the more you realize that. That you're investing in things that really don't matter at all. So it means investing in things that really matter. It means having, having my priorities in place, the right priorities, focusing on the right things. It means putting God, it means putting God and people first in your life. Over everything else, over yourself, it means putting God and people first. Here's what people miss when they start talking about leaving a legacy. I hear it all the time. You know, people, I have this. I'm going to leave this legacy. Here's, here's what they miss. You are not going to be the one who decides what your legacy is. It's the people you leave behind who are going to decide what your legacy is. So we think we're in control of our legacy. We think we're in complete control. All I have to do is do this, and I'll set this up, and I'll lay this out. And we think we're in control, if you will, of our legacy. We're going to decide what our legacy is, but in reality, we're not going to decide what our legacy is. The people we leave behind are going to decide what our legacy is. The book of Judges is so interesting to me. I absolutely love it. Because many of you know me. I love obscure characters in the Bible and finding these different characters. We're going to have a few, some that you've never heard of, okay, in this series. Well, you may have heard of them, but I've never preached on them. But uh, I, love the, I love the book of Judges because it's so interesting because it describes so many forgotten heroes of Israel. So many, you know, you read through it, it's like maybe, it's like Shamgar, right? After Ehud came Shamgar, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. You read right by it. Not really thinking about it anymore. Forgot you even heard the name Shamgar. But here's this guy who saved Israel with an ox goad, right? So I love Judges because it has these, these characters that we've sometimes forgotten, these heroes of Israel that we've sometimes forgotten. People who really lived a legacy. That's why I'm picking them. Because they're going right along with what we're talking about. They, they, they lived a legacy. We're still talking about them in 2018 because that's how they lived their lives. They lived their lives, God first, the people around them, and then themselves. And in the book of Judges, it's a farmer, like I said, named Shamgar, who rises to the occasion. He's this farmer, right? Here's this guy, Shamgar, who's a farmer, rises to the occasion. He turned his plowing field into a battlefield, and he killed 600 Philistines. Now, the time period, the time period covering the book of Judges that we're looking at here, um, should have been a, an era of, of real um, rejoicing and advancement for God's people. That's, that's what should have been happening. 
Right? It should have been a time of advancement. They're, they're going into the promised land. By this time, they should have been fully enjoying the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. But they actually didn't as much as they could have because they continually um, weren't obeying God. They, were, they, they didn't obey God. And then they would, they would get caught up in the culture. Think about this in our own culture. Bring it back home. They got caught up in the culture around them. So when they should have been fully enjoying the blessings of God in that time period, they were kind of missing out. There were so many different times that they were just missing out on God's full blessing. So this last verse in Judges chapter 3 and then a few, a few verses in Judges chapter 5 comprise the sum total of the biblical story of Shamgar. In chapter 5, it kind of lays out more of the environment in which he lives. So chapter 3 is really the focus to this morning. So it says this in chapter 3. After Ehud came Shangar, son of Anath. So after he, Ehud came Shamgar. Remember Ehud. Ehud was this, this courageous left-handed judge who led the Israelites into battle with the Moabites, right? And after he led them into battle with the Moabites and their victory, there was peace with the Moabites for 80 years with Israel. But as we all know, you usually have in individuals, whatever, you usually have more than one enemy, and Israel was no different. They had more enemies. The Philistines were Israel's enemy as well. The, the, the Philistines would, would frequently raid, okay, and plunder Israel. They would come in, they would raid them, and they would plunder, they would take things. In Judges, in Judges chapter 5 and verse 6, it gives us a, a good understanding of the kind of environment that Shamgar was living in. So just, let's just go into his environment, right? Um, what, what, what was happening was that, that, that Shamgar had to face constant raids. The people of Israel Israel at this point were facing these constant raids on their farmland. So do you imagine, okay, you plant your crops. This is your, you can't go to Kroger here, right? You can't just go down the street to the pharmacy and pick up a few items, whatever else. This is your livelihood. This is your life. So you plant your crops and you have these Philistines who would come in, marauding Philistines, and would raid your crops right when they're about to be harvested, and they would raid and plunder and take these things. So that was happening. Shamgar was a farmer, so he knew it. Imagine him going to his farmer buddies and talking about, my gosh, I was just about, and they came down, they took most of it. We, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do in the winter. And they would talk to each other, and, 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 and it goes on to talk about how they couldn't walk down the, the roads. They couldn't walk down their, their own roads because they were constantly being attacked by, by bands of, of Philistines coming in and robbing them and killing them. And so they, they couldn't go down their roads. Normal life for Israel ceased. They couldn't live in small communities. Normal life, and they were disarmed. They were basically disarmed, so they really couldn't defend themselves. So you didn't have, like, they didn't have swords and spears. And in Judges 5, 6, it starts out, it says this. In the, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, the roads were abandoned. Travelers took winding paths. Why? Because you go on the main road, you're going to get jumped. You're going to get, you're going to get beat up. You're going to, you know, you're going to be the good Samaritan, if you will, laying on the side of the road all bloody. Or dead. 
or they rob you or something. So you took the winding path. You had to go the back road. You had to go those little paths that only you know and most people don't know in order to get home. So that's what it is. And then verse 7, it says this. Village life in Israel ceased. So you forget living in small communities because you were defenseless. You had no weapons. They come in, take whatever they want, whenever they want. In verse 8, it continues, not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. So this is the environment in which Shamgar existed, in which Shamgar lived, and, and obviously everyone else. But I tell you, man, in, in, in the world, in, throughout history, throughout history, most people will just hide and put up with it and hope to God that nothing happens and you just can avoid this, the Philistines. But every once in a while, you get someone who's just like, it was, with some chutzpah, okay? And enough is enough. And they just can't take it. And Shamgar was one of those guys. These challenging circumstances motivated Shamgar to take matters into his own hands and, 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 and just remedy the situation. Someone had, had to do something. Someone had to do something. And usually it's not a whole bunch of people. It's usually a couple of people who just stand up and say, I've had enough. I've had enough. So the Bible describes his response. It says he struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Now, keep in mind, it doesn't say he did it all at once, though I believe he did do it all at once. It could have been uh, a few battles, okay? He took on this many, this many, this many, in a few battles and killed 600 Philistines. I believe it was actually one battle, because in the book of Judges, you have Gideon. You have, if you go through the book of Judges, you have all kinds of stories where God miraculously comes in and wins the battle for the person who's willing to stand up and pick a fight, the problem with Christianity today sometimes is that we won't pick fights anymore. We cower. We hide. And I've said this multiple times. When you put on the armor of God, God says to move forward. He says, go forward. Because the only place where you're vulnerable when you put on the armor of God is where? In your back. But we, we turn. We hide. When we should be moving forward. Shamgar wasn't going to turn. He wasn't going to hide. He was going to move forward. So... I believe that it, it was all at once. You think, well, how could one guy take on 600 people all at once? Well, you know, I can go through the Bible and show you. God, God is an unorthodox God. And the way God wins battles, just go through it and see if I'm, if I'm even close to off here. We have an unorthodox God. And the reason we have an unorthodox God who does these miraculous things in people's lives, even today, is so that when, when they are healed, when, when God comes and intervenes, when everybody else is kind of like, oh gosh, doesn't look too good, who gets the glory? God does. So I believe it was 600 Philistines at the same time. The important thing is that killing 600, okay, killing 600 of these men, of these soldiers at one time or in in a short period of time would have basically decimated, would have crippled the Philistines' ability to come in and just harass people on the road or take, you know, grab the farm, you know, go into and destroy the crops and take the crops. This would have really had a devastating effect to kill 600 soldiers would have a devastating effect for them to come in and harass Israel. So, okay, so let's talk about this ox goad, all right? The ox goad. An ox goad is a farming implement. Now, what they would do when they were farming is they would have an ox 
and they would put the ox, right? And they would put them up front and then the ox would drag everything and the plow, he would pull the plow. And so what the farmer would have is they would try to make sure that he would keep that ox moving forward, keep that ox doing what the ox was supposed to do. So he had a wooden rod, all right? He had a wooden rod and the wooden rod was anywhere between five and 10 feet, and usually on the bottom, it had a, uh, 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 a sharp end to it, a sharp point on the one side so we could prod the ox. On the other side, he had, it was like a sickle-like blade that was on there. And the sickle-like blade was used to knock the dirt off of the plow. So we had an ox goad, point on one end, big old sickle on the... Kevin, Pastor Kevin made this for me. So you kind of get a feel for what it was like. Some of them were longer, 10 feet long. Some were shorter, 5 feet long. But you can imagine, okay, back then, you got this long blade on there, a sickle-like blade that was pretty tough that could knock clumps of dirt or whatever off of the, the plow. So he used, this is what he would use. This was the farming implement that he would use. See, now in the hands of a lot of people, a farmer, no, not a big deal. In the hands of someone like Shamgar, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that looked probably awful, right? <laughs> Shamgar, you know. In the, in the hands of Shamgar, I mean, in the hands of someone who's like courageous and strong and got a big fat attitude and got some chutzpah, this becomes a deadly weapon. Imagine, I mean, a strong piece of wood 10 feet long with a spear, a sharpened spear on one side and a sickle-like blade on the other side. You know what I'm saying? It's like the Matrix or something. You know, he's like, this guy had it. He had what he needed. And I tell you, he had what he needed because he had his God. Not about the, it's really not about the ox goad as much as it is about his trust in God. In the hands of a man of courage and strength, any tool becomes a lethal weapon. So when the Philistines came to plunder his farm, Shamgar defended his family. Shamgar defended his countrymen, if you will. Shamgar basically was defending his nation. Shamgar was defending his property, his livelihood, with a farming implement, with a farming tool. He knew how to use it. He knew exactly how to use it. In just one verse here, Shamgar's story teaches us some valuable lessons on how to live a legacy. In just one verse, Shamgar's life, if you will, teaches us how to live a legacy. See, if we ask, if we were to ask, okay, what is Shamgar's, what is, what is the, what is the hallmark of Shamgar's life? What is the hallmark of Shamgar's life? I think one of the things that we would say is this guy is a man without excuses. Well, the reason I can't, whatever, is because the way I grew up and blah, 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 and yada, yada, and this person did that, whatever else. And the reason I can't get that advancement, the reason I don't, the reason I won't, and the reason he was a man without excuses. You know, these marauding, marauding Philistines coming down, and you, had, you were without weapon. Oh, I didn't have a weapon. That's why I didn't defend myself. That's why I wouldn't take these guys. I didn't have a weapon. Who, who, who's stupid enough to take on that many people at one time? He was a man without excuses. So that was one of the hallmarks of his life. But the other one, more important, I talked about it already, was that he trusted in his God. He trusted in the strength of his God to win the day. 
Shamgar trusted in God's strength to win the day. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about. He trusted his God to win the day. Honestly, we sometimes think that like somehow God was, hey, Shamgar, pick up that ox goat, take on those 600 Philistines, and I guarantee you, you're going to win. doesn't say that God spoke to Shamgar verbally. Shamgar didn't know if he was going to make it through these, this battle or a couple of battles. He didn't know. He, he trusted God and he did what he felt was the right thing to do. And kind of live or die, Shamgar was going to do what he knew was important to do. To take on these Philistines, to defend his family, to defend his country. Not knowing the outcome of how this was all going to play. The cool thing is that I believe in my heart that Shamgar trusted in God in such a way that regardless of victory or defeat, there would ultimately be victory. There would ultimately be victory. And, and, and here's, the, here's the other thing. Um, I'm going to go back to the miraculous, like we said in the very beginning. Are you expecting something miraculous? I believe that Shamgar was expecting something miraculous, expecting the miraculous to happen. I really do. I really do. I think he's standing, and I, again, I'm, I'm, this is my interpretation. This is my, these are my thoughts, okay? These are my thoughts that I'm bringing to the table. When he stood in that field, and many of you have been in this situation before in different areas of your life, but when he stood in that field with that ox goad, he must have been thinking about everything that he loved. When he stood there, and who knows, he's surrounded, here come the Philistines, his crops are ready, okay? He probably stood in that field with such intensity, not because he hated the Philistines, which he probably did, after all that they've been through. But more, more powerful than hating his enemy, he loved his family. He loved his God. He loved his nation. He loved his countrymen. He loved his friends. He loved, he loved the farmers all around him. And he stood in that field, and I believe with all my heart, that he must have been thinking about everything that he loved. And when you think about everything that you love, that is what gives you power. Hating something, hating something will give you aggression for a period of time, but loving something helps you overcome whatever it is in your life that you need to overcome. And I believe he stood in that field with that ox goad thinking about everything that he truly loved and he fought with that kind of love and my I was kind of processing through when he died can you imagine at Shamgar's funeral what they were saying about him right do you remember remember that time he took on the 600 Philistines crazy man I mean but no surprise everybody's like yeah but that's no surprise right that's no surprise it's like David. I'm, I guarantee you that Shamgar had a few other stories that they could tell leading up to taking on 600 Philistines. All the, the animals he would have to fight off when he was on his farm, the things he, he would have to defend. I mean, he probably had a history of Shamgar. Like David fought against a lion. I fought against the bear. I'll take on this giant. I'll take on Goliath. I killed bears. I killed lions. I can kill this dude. And so they probably said, that Shamgar is a crazy man, but no surprise, that's Shamgar. Someone else might have said, you know, Shamgar never put himself first. First was God, then it was his family, then it was country. That's how he lived. He fought to defend us. That guy was selfless. 
He thought of it himself last. My friends, the average person inspires themselves. Godly people inspire others. At the end of our lives, we want to be godly men and godly women to inspire others with our lives. I can guarantee you, because we see this all the time, when one person steps up, other people join in. When they, and when you're in school and someone says, well, what's the most important thing to you? Uh, my PlayStation, my blah, blah. And some, one person says, um, God. And then the kid says, yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, God is the most important thing to me too. But it takes one person to say it, and then everybody else has the courage to say it. And you can imagine, you can imagine how he inspired so many people. So, so what kind of legacy are you building? What kind of legacy am, what kind of legacy am I building? We, we think we're building a legacy, Tom, sometimes when we spend all of our time at work. We're building, we're building, we're getting to the top. We want to get to the top. We want to be, we want to be famous in our world. Everybody's famous in their own world. If you're a lawyer, you're famous in the lawyer world. If you're an artist, you're famous in the artist world. If you're, if you're this, you're, you're famous in that world. But everybody's famous. Most people don't get famous in all worlds. Some people do, but most people don't. But you want to be famous in your world and you want to, you want to get to the point where you're more wealthy. And you want to get to the point where you're more powerful. And, and you, you want to, you want to get, you want to own all those things. You think that's, that's what's gonna, that's what's gonna give me a legacy. That's what's gonna make people remember me. I've been to so many funerals in my life. So many funerals. And some of them are really, really sad. And some funerals people get up and say, you know, he wasn't around very much when we were growing up. But he, he always made sure we had food on the table. I'm going to translate that for you. He neglected his family, but why bash the dead? Someone else at other funerals will say things like, literally, I've heard that they get up and like, anybody want to share? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, Pete can really hold his liquor. I'm, I'm sitting back here, I'm like... <laughs> Some, please, someone else get up and say something other than peek at all this liquor. You know what I mean? And, or, or, you know, Mary, boy, you know, <laughs> Mary, boy, you never knew, you never had to worry about what Mary was thinking. She'd always tell you whatever. She'd never let her thoughts go. Let me translate both. One is, he wasted his life. And the other was, she was mean. But everybody wants to say it in a nice way. Kind of. And there's like this awkward laughter that goes on. People who live a legacy are remembered because of the sacrifices they made for others. People who, who, people who are remembered in that way, they live it, the people who are living a legacy are remembered because of the sacrifice that they make for others. When we do, when we do things for ourselves, it dies with us. When we do things for others, it lives forever. When you do something for yourself, it'll die with you. But when you do something for someone else, it lives forever. Shamgar lived a legacy. His actions, listen, his actions reflected his priorities. His actions, what he did, reflected his priorities. God, family, relationships. He wasn't going to die over, over a field. He was dying because of what that field represented for his country, for his family. 
for the people around him. The Bible says that, again, he used an ox goad. Think about this. He used an ox goad to fight against these well-trained military Philistines. He used an ox goad. In other words, listen to this is important. In other words, he used what he knew best. Now we're going to bring it, we're going to keep bringing this back home. He used what he knew best to live a legacy. Shamgar won the battle with a tool that he was familiar with. Something that he used every single day. Shamgar lived a legacy and left a legacy using something he was familiar with. Using something that he, that he was familiar with and that was, it was used by him every single day most likely. What can you use to impact the lives of the people around you? What are you using? What can you use to impact the lives of the people around you? For some of you, honestly, we got folks up here, it's their voice. Who here, honestly, was impacted this morning by what was being said and sung and played and right? Exactly. For some of you, it's your voice. For some of you, it's a hammer. It's a hammer. People back here, we didn't, you know, we, we paid about a third, a quarter of what we'd pay to build those classrooms. Why? Because you're back there with a hammer. You're back there with the tools of your trade, if you will. You're using what God has given you. See, each of us needs to fight with the tools of our trade. So what is your, what is your ox goad? What is your ox goad? Is it writing? Is that your ox code? Is that the tool of your trade? Is that the gift that God has given you? For some, it's an ox code, maybe for some of you. For some of you, it's business. You're using your business skills to build the, like the whole this whole concept of business tree, and we're doing a marketplace ministry. You're using those skills, and you're using them at work. You're using your business skills at work to further the cause of Jesus Christ. You are a marketplace minister. You're using your business skills. That's your ox code. For some of you, it's teaching, and you are stinking great. I watch some of your Facebook things you put on there. That you do in the classroom. Gosh, I think if I if I had a teacher like you, I'd be a lot smarter. I just really would. Because you use your teaching as your ox goad. Is it sports for you? What, I mean, just, what is it? What is your ox goad? God has given each of us time. He's given each of us talent. And he's given each of us treasures. And he wants us to use our time, our talents, and our treasures to further the kingdom of God. Because that's all that matters. That's why I'm talking about priorities. When you're living a legacy, you prioritize. God and people first. God and people first. So you're prioritizing. We need, to, we need to make sure that we're prioritizing, that we're living our lives that, that way. The battle I'm talking about this morning is a battle for the lives of the people around you, at work, at home, in school. This is what I'm talking about. What is your ox goat and how are you using that to battle for the people around you, to care about the people around you? I am sure, I'm not sure, but I would think based upon what I know about people like Shamgar, that he probably taught his kids how to use an ox goat, right? He probably taught his kids how to use an ox goat. 
I could just see him making a little, a little, you know, small, smaller little version of this, giving it to his children to teach them how to use it. And I could see the kids running around, poking the goats and tormenting the chickens, right? And I know Shamgar like, kids, you know, you're going to kill the chicken. Hey, watch this, dad. You know, off with the chicken's head. You know what I mean? I'm sure that he was teaching his kids how to use an ox goad. Can, you, can, you, can just, you can just think it through. The question that I have for us this morning is, are we teaching our children what we know? Are we, te- are we preparing our children for what they're most likely going to face in the future? Honestly, are you building memories? And I don't want, don't, don't even let Satan come in and go, oh, it's too late for you. You didn't do this soon enough baloney. Now you can build memories. Doesn't matter how you start sometimes, it matters how you finish. If you finish well, you finish well. And people will, you know what? People, your children, your wife, your husband, your friends, your family, all around you, they'll recognize the people at work, they'll recognize that you have changed and that you're finishing well. So don't let Satan start talking to you and telling you it's too late for you. We need to invest in memories. Time is our most precious commodity. How, how you use your time will determine your legacy. Simple as that. How the most precious thing you have is not money, it's not your stuff, it's not whatever, it's your time. And how you use your time will determine your legacy. I went fishing with my dad once. One time. And it's not from a lack of asking. Even as an adult, okay, I would, hey, dad, let's go down with Mark, my brother, and take the, you know, the kids down there. Well, oh, you know, no, you know, you guys go down, you guys go down. I've gone fishing with Josh so many times in 2018 that he's forgotten how many times we've gone fishing. But you know what he hasn't forgotten? He hasn't forgotten the amount of the, like this, he'll tell stories about the largest bass he caught, or the largest catfish he caught, or the largest bluegill that he caught. He'll, he, he'll tell you about the, the ones that got away. And he'll tell you about the ones that were hardest to pull in. And he'll tell you about, you know, probably tell stories, but the times that he caught more fish than me, which is very, very rare. Very rare. Very rare. But that's what he'll talk about. How many, and you know what he'll talk about? He, when he gets older, he's going to be talking about the things that we talked about while we were fishing. He'll talk about those things. I talked to him about life. What he should and shouldn't do. Things are important. I, I make analogies to fishing. I do, you know, he likes, Josh likes to hunt now. So, I go with him. And we talk about, we talk about things. We, in, I engage in him. I attempted to go fishing with my grandfather many times, but he'd get drunk before he got in the car, and then he'd waste our time talking about how much he hated my father and how much like I was, how much I was like him. Ask my grandkids about fishing with Pops. Pops Pond. I got a pond in the backyard. It's not very big, but it's a lot of fun, because you don't really go fishing in my pond. You go catching in my pond. You know, I just feed them, feed them, feed them. They see some hit the water. Boom. It's like catching. You know what I mean? And I got a picture. You guys look at them Facebook. It's like the same fish over and over again. Too stupid to realize that. <laughs> but we, the stories that we're going to tell, we're going to be talking about. Listen, fishing builds memories. And it doesn't matter what it is. Fishing builds memories. Memories build relationships. Relationships build your legacy. That's why I go fishing. I enjoy it. 
but there's a, there's a, there's, there's a method to my madness. Every interaction I try to have with my grandchildren, every, almost every interaction is a thought through investment of time. I think about it because of my, I'm not like all beat up and broken up about my grandfather and my father. They both ended pretty well. It's okay. But here's the thing. I think about my grandfather and think I'm a grandfather now. Every interaction I have with my grandchildren, it's a lot of it is thought through. I try to think it through. I want, I, because my, because my words, you all realize this, my words as a grandfather, they matter. They matter. How I speak to my grandchildren, what I say, my words matter, my actions matter. Because living a legacy matters. That matters. Sometimes an ox goad, my point is this, sometimes an ox goad is a fishing pole. Sometimes it's a paintbrush. Sometimes it's crayons, right? In a restaurant playing tic-tac-toe. Sometimes it's, it's, it's Legos. Sometimes it's, it's crafts. Whatever, it, it could be all kinds of things. Use the tools to live a legacy. Let me switch it up as we close out here. Let me switch this up a little bit. Sometimes a legacy, um, to, live, to live a legacy, you have to use tools that you're unfamiliar with. Sometimes you have to use tools that you're unfamiliar with. To, li- to, to live a legacy, you have to leave your comfort zone. You say, yeah, I'm going to use my tool. That's easy. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you have to leave your comfort zone. To live a legacy, you need to sacrifice. All of us. Think about this. Oldest to youngest. If you're going to live a legacy and you start as young as you are right now, if you can hear my voice and understand it, then you need to start thinking about how do I live a legacy? To live a legacy, you need to sacrifice. To live a legacy, you need to consider others. You need to consider other people and re- maybe rethink. Think about this. You need to rethink your priorities. Um, start liking what they like. I'm not a cheerleader. I've never been a cheerleader. I don't know anything about cheerleading until Jen became a cheerleader. And then I'm on the sidelines and I, was, I would go after those. Are you blind? Don't you know what a good backflip is supposed to look like? Look at the arms and the way they, you know what I mean? And if that, that judge didn't do it right, I was an expert. I became an expert on cheerleading judging. I should be a judge for cheerleading. I was so good. Especially when they didn't do it right for my team, my girl, the girl's team that I was watching, right? It doesn't matter. Hey, if you like football and your son or your daughter likes lacrosse or whatever else, you like lacrosse now. They don't like football, you can watch it, it's fine. But if they like lacrosse, lacrosse for this, this, this amount of years, whatever, you now like lacrosse. Read on it, study it, watch it, understand it. You become a lacrosse expert. See, none of us, here's the deal, none of us is going to live forever. The goal is to leave something of, our, of ourselves behind that will. You're not going to live forever, but you can leave something of yourself behind that will. God wants to live in, God wants us to live in such a way that our lives can never be erased. He wants us to live in such a way that our lives could never truly be erased. He wants us to live in such a way, He wants us to live the way we want to be remembered. That's what I said in the very beginning. You need to live, I need to live in a way that we're going, that we want to be remembered. How do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as a sacrificial person? You want to be remembered as a kind or a caring person? You want to be remembered as a patient person? Then live that way. 
Live that way now. You're not going to be remembered for something that you're not living out in your life. You say, well, I'm not a very patient person. No one's going to remember me, from, remember me for that. They will if you end well and you become a patient person. They're going to go, wow, if my father can go from what he was or my mom from what she was to what she has become, that's, in, that's, that's miraculous. Then I can do it. Live what you want people to remember you by. Live that way and start now. It's 2019, the first Sunday of 2019. Today, your life is a do-over. Do it over. Start now. Today, we're starting do-over. Remember you kicked the ball in the tree and you got stuck? Do-over. Your life's a do-over. We're going to start in 2019 and we're going to become that patient person if we're not. He wants us to carve... Listen. He wants us to carve our names on hearts, not on tombstones. You carve your name on a heart and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. When you live a legacy, you basically etch your name in people's minds, in people's souls. You, you etch your name in their lives, not just on a gravestone. And listen, God isn't looking. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people who are available. He's not looking for perfect people to bless. He's looking for available people to bless. Are you available? That's all you have to be. Well, I don't, uh, I'm not very good at this. I don't care. Stop with, I don't, what I do, what you can't do. It's important is what you can do. He's looking for available people to bless. You may never win an Oscar. You may never play in the Super Bowl. You may never write the great American novel. You may not even get your 15 minutes of fame. That may not happen for you. But if you just do what you can, if you just do what you can, God will bless what you do. If you just do what you can, God will bless what you do. Think about this. In Judges chapter 3, there is only one verse about Shamgar. Chapter 5 talked about like his environment. There's one verse, one verse about Shamgar in Judges chapter 3. Some of you are like, Judges, where is that in the Bible? So how, was, how significant was he? Well, he was significant to God. Most important. He was significant to his family. He was significant to his nation. Using what he had... He too saved Israel. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. God, I pray, I pray with all of my heart that each one of us would leave this place thinking, what is my ox code? What can I use to impact the lives of the people around me? What gift, what talent, what ability have you given me, Lord God, that I can use to further your kingdom? And God, we want to believe, every single one of us here, we want to believe the miraculous. We want to hold on to the miraculous. We don't want to live a mediocre kind of average Christian life. How boring is that? 
No wonder droves of our children are walking away from the church when they see these me- this mediocrity that we live sometimes. God, I pray this church, our children would not just walk away. They would outshine us, Lord God. They would look at our lives and say that this is the way, this is the legacy that they left. This is the legacy that they lived. And I want to do even better. I pray, dear God, that we would hold on to, that we would believe, that we would expect the miraculous in our lives personally in this church through the power of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.